Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. Welcome to a Thursday release of the 1% Better Podcast. You may only be checking this out on the Friday, so then nothing really different for you, or even on the Monday, still nothing different. But I'm releasing it early this week and probably for the next few weeks as I tweak uh, release schedules for certain things coming up over the next few weeks and said I'd go to Thursday. So hopefully that uh, is a little treat uh, a day earlier and get you to the Friday even quicker. So last week's episode, Olive Lochnan, lots of good learnings for me as I listen back to it. I do listen back to them only to pick up some of the tips again, certainly not to listen to my own voice. A couple of things that stood out for me, if you haven't checked it out, do, was her take on saying she took the magic out of winning a world championship gold or going to the Olympics. I don't really think that's fair. I think there is some magic involved in getting to that event, to that absolute pinnacle of athletics. Certainly goal setting is key and setting them into smaller chunks and breaking down the big goals to the smaller ones. So lots of good stuff out of it. Please do go back and check it out if you haven't listened to it or just download it. Have it there to check out. That was a great episode with Olive, so thanks for sharing your story. I'm continuing with the One Minute Mondays. Last week, last Monday, this Monday, just gone, was number five. And some potential new ideas with that going forward around guest contributors. Maybe some guests giving One Minute Monday tips rather than just me. Watch out for that, but check them out. They're on the video page on the website, or it's on YouTube under Rob of the Green as well. And yeah, some good tips there, things you can take away and apply in your own life. I mentioned the 864 show a couple of weeks ago. That's going well. I've started to edit a number of episodes there, and I'm excited about that. I've got some new intro music for that as well which uh, is a little bit different than the one on this but uh, looking forward to sharing that in a few weeks one other thing I was hoping to do and I probably said this a few times but it all depends on timing and getting the right questions in was to do a kind of a solo show based on questions that you might have around the podcast around how it's put together around guests that I enjoy talking with pretty much wide open for whatever so if you do have some questions that you'd like to submit and let me answer in an honest very genuine way i'll do my best Uh, so maybe send some in i have a bunch already send some more in i might do a 15 20 minute show on that it's something that podcasters do i guess and i'm more than happy to share some of that i know people have got in touch with me over the last few weeks with the kind of pro bono coaching offer and talked about podcasting how to put it together what platforms to use more than happy to share all of that if uh, if it's of interest or of value so please do give me a shout so email me the links are on the website there's a feedback page all of those ways you can get in touch over the socials please do i'd love to hear from you and secondly i do want to do a live show around about the time the 864 kicks off or there thereabouts I'll record it. It's going to be 15 minutes as well. Use video. So I'll put that up on the site and put it up on YouTube. I'm working on a guest for for that. And that should be good around the time of the 864 launch. So, So lots of good stuff there. Reminders. The GDPR newsletter update. If you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, please do. You'll just have to check on that. A kind of checkbox. Check a checkbox to say you want to continue to get or get email notification, which I'd send out typically once a week. Also, I'm releasing the podcast a few days earlier, sometimes a week earlier, onto the Patreon page 
just to have there if anyone wants to listen to it in advance they can sign up and subscribe and i am going to be adding lots and lots more content on that so really it'll build over time and then if you do get on and subscribe you'll be able to get the backlog of content that's going to be added there so lots of good stuff there right on to this week's guest and i'm really delighted to introduce martin brennan so martin brennan is managing director of proactive management a company that he set up around about 30 years ago focusing on the areas of training coaching facilitation leadership manager development all areas that i have a huge passion for things that i absolutely love to do in my own professional career and have a huge interest in learning about others that do it and i think that will come across very quickly and clearly in the conversation that we had when i talked to martin about doing the podcast i rang him for a five minute conversation for the first time ever talking to the guy and we were 45 minutes chatting before we even got to agree a time when we could meet to do the podcast so that will say one thing when i did go to his house and his office which is an awesome place with a nerd full-size snooker table which i'm quite jealous about we again talked for about 45 minutes before we got into the podcast we had a lot of ice broken at that stage and then we got into a really good conversation for around about an hour and i learned a lot from it as always i take lots of notes when i listen back and publish them on the show notes page check out that there's kind of bullet points there so many interesting stuff that martin shared during his career some learnings he's had he's had some really good sayings or cliches we talk about the power of cliches and coaching self-improvement the fear versus excitement introvert versus extrovert i was reading the book that susan kane put up around this time so talked a bit about that putting the work in listening very important and bringing presence and knowing that you don't always have the answers so yeah i was really excited to have the conversation and i know we're going to have lots more conversations with martin in the future because he's such a good guy i've said a lot there i shall take a breather i shall leave it there and i'm going to listen to this one again myself because it's really really fun and enjoyable and i hope you enjoy it too have a great weekend and a great week ahead thanks so much for listening if you like if you're enjoying it, please do subscribe, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. We got to number nine in the charts actually this week. And just tell some other people about it. Share it in your network. All very important stuff. Thanks so much. Enjoy. I'm here with Martin Brennan, who is the managing director of Proactive Management, a company you set up about 27 or so years ago, Martin. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. How, how, uh, how fast did those 27 years go? Those 27 years uh, went much faster than I thought. Uh, at the start, you were always worried about setting up the business, but like everything in life, it just whizzed along. Uh, seems a short time in some ways, but looking at back in it week by week, yeah, we did quite a bit. You got a lot done. A lot done more to do. Absolutely, certainly more to do, but a lot done as well. Yeah. Definitely won't be stealing any Bertie Hearns <laughs> after that. No, that was unplanned. Thanks for showing me around your office here. I'm extremely jealous, and it's more than an office. It's like, I, I don't know, what, what would you describe it as? A... You know, one guy I was working with, uh, Mick O'Connor, and Mick says, if we're doing a session, I'll go down to your church. Right. <laughs> and I was trying to get that old feeling in the place. Yeah. And, and not contrive, but just, I love old stuff. I love looking back in yeah, the yeah. world. And I was just trying to get an old feeling, an old building. And as a result, I sometimes find that people can just relax that bit more or get in touch with themselves a bit more in an older setting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, an old, um, how would you put it, haven, haven is really what I'm trying to create. 
very warm and kind of welcoming in that way as well. You know? I thank Fiona for that because Fiona would have had the colours and put it together. Right. But as I say, I was trying to create all the time is that I'm in this office more times than anybody. This yeah. is a coaching room. And I just wanted a nice space for myself as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, old, haven, old values, solid is what comes to mind. Cool, cool. Core, are there kind of some of your core values? Yeah, coming they out are. We're not sort of saying it necessarily, but yeah. um, I think... I have a hankering at times to look back. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I've always had this hankering to look back to older times, to steadier times. And I was trying to recreate that in the office as well. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's cool. And thank you. I'm highly jealous as well about <laughs> the uh, the snooker table up there and your bookshelves. One thing about the bookshelves, so we talked before we started to record and we were looking at some of the books and I mentioned the book I'm reading at the moment about introversion, mm. right? And when I think of introverts, I think of the Myers Briggs psychometric test, the MBTI. Have you have you ever taken the Myers Briggs yourself? I have taken the Myers Briggs. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I think it was ENTJ. I think it okay. was anyway. Right. But I would get a sense of definitely extroversion. Okay. And um, it's interesting. I didn't read that book you're talking about, but I came across uh, one or two interviews about it, hmm. and I thought it was very courageous for somebody to look at the the upside of being. An introvert. Yeah. And I think sometimes introverts are always thinking extroverts perhaps were not so good at it. So it was nice to get a challenge on the value of introverts. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I would consider I'm an INTJ. Mm. Whereas you're, you said you're the ENTJ. I was interested to see where the, 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 the there might be changes there. But yeah, it's quiet revolution. I think Susan Cain mm. is... Uh, has a revolution around that or tries to do a revolution it's very it's very interesting learn a lot from it what would light you up most what what's what's the work that gives you the greatest energy even in the different strands of your work that you do i would say the work that would give me most energy is a group of people with a passion to try and achieve something right it could be an offsite strategy it could be a project but i bounce best off energy right i i love when there's energy in the room, the the bounce from it to be creates new energy for me yeah. and it makes the day go round. In terms of one to one, the one that really excites me most is when somebody says, Jesus, I, I didn't think I was that good or I wasn't aware of what you just put together for me. And people might give you a ring when they got home or got to the office and say, I was buzzing on the way up the road. Mm. And you have to feel proud because you help them to sort of not give it to them. They own that. Yeah. But at least use your skills to remind them of what they had. Yeah. But putting them all together, a bunch of energetic folk trying to change the world with the right attitude. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> You're definitely an extrovert. Because so I think that's the energy is there. When did you realize that we were talking earlier and you were about to give me an answer to the question mm. and I said, no, we have to record it. Mm. So it's authentic. But Looking back when you, occupational psychologist, yes. that's where you went yeah. into, and you did a master's in that as well. Um, was that always kind of what you wanted to do? Was psychology that something there from the very get-go? People anyway. Yeah. Um, people anyway. And I spent my childhood in the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, the Ventures. And for me, it was the most formative education I received. Some of the friends I made in scouting, I still have to this day. Right. But what scouting showed me was that was a thing called the Wood Badge, okay. where adult tra- uh, leaders did some training to be trainers. So my first introduction to train the trainer came from scouting. Right. And from the feedback, that was early days, 15, yeah. 16, 
and I just got this hunger for training. Right. I went to college in Limerick. It mm. was then the NIHE, the National Institute of Higher Education. I did a primary degree in business studies and I got into HR or personnel. Right. So I kind of did my apprenticeship in personnel, but I was working in personnel and around 1989, I'd been with the company for 15 years. Right. And I got one minute's notice per year of service. Right. So in that 15 minutes, my life was chained upside down. And pretty soon I said, I'm going to take a chance and try this on my own. Right. And it worked. It worked. But it was always about people, training, development. When you spoke to me recently when we were talking, you talked about your purpose being helping others to find their way. Yeah. Um, I never put it quite like that, but I would agree with it. I think it's a great description of um, helping others to see what they have. Right. And maybe sometimes as well, there's so many good people who regulate their lives by their limitations rather than by their potential. Yeah. And I'm a big crier out of potential. Okay. And maybe at times I'm too directive in doing that, but I still celebrate it because people leave and they say, you know, I didn't realize it was like that. Yeah. And yeah, that that's it. It's about people. It's about helping. And um, probably the extrovert is in there as well. The sense yeah, yeah. of community, spontaneity would be important. Okay. What is interesting as well, you said coaching 27 years ago was a dark art or yeah. wasn't coaching as we know it today. Like when you were stepping out of the corporate environment mm. and you were going to go out on your own, like what was, what was it? How would you describe that I, I coaching? I think the, the dream was the same as anybody starting on their own. Yeah. As in I just, corporate life was getting into me and I didn't like it. Uh, you had to check so many things with people if you wanted to get a company car, 17 people had to sign off on it and it was just that kind of stuff. And what happened when I was made redundant, it kind of forced me into a situation to decide where would I like to take my life. Yeah. And that's when some of the people stuff I talked to you about came to the fore. Mm. Uh, Act of Faith, bit of good fortune. Myself and Fiona worked together in getting the business going. And I quickly found that, you know something, most people who are successful they're kind of nice people too. Right. That that was very helpful. Okay. That was very helpful. So I took a chance, but I met a lot of people who were actually giving me a help along. And mm. um, they, when I was working in their companies, they were the kind of folk who said, yeah, have a go. And if, if it worked out, they gave me more work and stuff like that. Right. But it was um, an interesting time. And I knew it was people, but it was knee jerk. But it was knee jerk based on, I got to go. Right. Fear massive at the time at the start yeah, in yeah, the early I mean, days uh, I mean to be honest sometimes I come from a family of 14 right so somebody said to me recently are you not retired yet and I said no I'm always afraid in case I run out of money okay and because I'd been <laughs> that sort of a scene yeah, yeah, yeah. but a uh, fear yeah and the fear was funny it was fear of can I go back one there was an yeah. excitement as well though I think on sure. balance the excitement was better right the excitement was greater hmm. and the fear came then when you're suddenly going into uh, you've worked with one company for 15 years. Now you're going into other companies to talk to their MD or the HR and you're bringing solutions. Yeah, there was fear. Yeah. But it was excitement, fear, and every week, certainly every year that passed, there was a sense of belief that it can't be that bad. Mm. And one thing I'm very proud of, Rob, is that in the last 25, 26 years, I've been called back 98% of the time by any of the clients that I've worked with. Yeah. And I just put that down to one thing. When clients uh, wanted something, my basic view of customer service is give the client what they want, but better. 
right? Yeah, it's serving well. That's a good metric, ninety eight percent to to, to yeah. success that's rate. Ge- that's genuine. It's oh not yeah, sort of a BS course. answer. Or oh, that's I, a, I know. I can get it totally. Around selling, um, when you set up the, you went out on your own. There was a, setting up a company. Was that ever a plan? Did, did you have that on your kind of radar? No, it was self. Uh, no, it was self employment no. first. So I was a sole trader for a number of years, and then okay. we set up the. Yeah, uh, the but even being on your own, was that always kind of a plan? <clears throat> no, it was in. It was in part of my restlessness over the years. So, yes, but it was never overtly put together as a plan. Right, right, right. But then when it happened and I took the chance, um, it's not the first time, and this is not the sound bravado, that I made the call and now I've got to put it right. So I'd advise people if they're thinking about something and there's passion involved, don't wait too long. Right. So I was frightened outside of a corporate job, but I was alive. Alive and yeah, and alive and fearful and alive and kicking. But the fact is that by making the decision to go, I now had to make my life or my income happen, and that forced my hand to some degree. Sure. Whereas if you wait too long, you're waiting for the perfect moment and it's not there. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. I hear you. Um, selling is something uh, I talk to people when they're going in the coaching world, mm-hmm. like peers that I have, and it's a lot of coaches fail because they can't sell. Mm themselves or they might be the best coach in the world but they just can't seal the deal or you know was that anything you had trouble with it early on or were you always able to Uh, we mentioned the the, uh, extrovert yeah um again i believe that i love what i do Mm. but i'm doing it to make a living and if i don't get enough money i can't make a living and i don't mean that in any acquisitive sense so a couple of things i learned early have a genuine sense of your value and trade with that in mind. Right. Okay. Number two, when you're selling, ask for the business. Okay. And number three, when you ask for the business, bring some of your conditions to the table as well as the company. Right. So I found with bigger companies, the likes of EMC or at the time or Dell, you spoke to a guy in purchasing or maybe your sponsoring manager. They worked hard to do the deal, but after that they didn't mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they expected you to do a deal as well. Right. So with bigger companies, again, if somebody's going out on their own, you know, yeah, do a discount if you want to get some business, but don't discount yourself to commodity. Mm. If you bring a value, put a value on it. Right. Because I'm only charging myself out from the company. Mm. And that's the value that I would hope that another company would place on me as well. Right. So in terms of selling, um, value your worth, sell yourself, ask for the business. And bring some of your conditions as well as the company conditions to bear. So when you say ask for the business, just even describe that a little bit more. Yeah. Like, are you kind of? Do, do you like pushing? what I'm saying, Jim? Yeah, it's very interesting. C- could you see how that might help some of your team? Yeah. Um, is it something you'd be interested in taking to the next level? I think it would be. Yeah. Well, look, could we talk about pricing, or right. would you like me to put a proposal together, hmm. or not as bland as or as as blatant as when do we start? Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. around. Look, but I put the proposal and maybe suggest a few dates if you think that was possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no matter how eloquently you speak about an offering, it's the PO that gives you the money. Sure. So you got to ask for the PO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are in the people business. They find that stuff like that can be very contrived and insincere. Mm. And, you know, I'm all about this sort of, when we were kids, we used to talk about musicians being non-commercial and they'd lose their way if they became commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly lose your way if you're not commercial. Yeah. Because the fact is that it pays the bills, not in a cynical way. So early days, ask for the business. Right. So that when you get that business, you can then concentrate on giving it. 
Mm. And eloquence without return is acting. It's a yeah, waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I kind of liken it in some ways to what I've learned over the last 12 months of just even trying to identify people to talk to for the podcast. Mm. And I'm not looking for, I'm not selling or, you know, I'm not charging them or I'm mm. selling myself, but I'd have a reluctance to send that third follow-up email if, if they had come back or whatever, you know. So there's kind of a, that's part of probably yeah. something I'm just not used to to being cutthroat about. So there's just those sort of things. But I suppose everybody looks upon it differently. And I think maybe being that little bit more extroverted might help in that way. I suppose as well. You know, the term cutthroat is interesting because it's not necessarily that way. Hmm. If somebody comes in and selling you a washing machine and you want value for money and if the guy says it's 50 quid and the guy down the road says it's 500 quid, yeah. You kind of feel it's too good to be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that sense, it's not that it has to be five hundred quid to sort of woo you into the sale, yeah. but five hundred quid says something. It says something about value. Yeah. And all I'm saying in that case there is that when you go into a company, is that you bring value, and if you don't value yourself, uh, a lot of people may not know what you're about. Yeah. So when you come back to that email you talk about, I get that as well, and I, I relate to that because you're on your own. Yeah. Um, now what happens is that before you might have a team on which you could bounce stuff off of mm. and now I call it the neurosis of self-employment Right. if people don't come back to me after three days or oh, they hate it yeah, or yeah. They, I'm not going to get the business and suddenly you get a call five days later I had the flu Right. Yeah, and you're yeah, saying yeah. to the guy on the phone yeah I thought there was something right or yeah, something yeah, wrong yeah, yeah, but you yeah. got the business Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's about being a bit resilient but I do get what you're saying that there is that sort of loneliness of the self-employed and sometimes we're afraid to push yeah. lest we find that it won't work. Mm. And nine times out of ten, and I think you'd agree on this from your own clients that you talk about on the podcast, nine times out of ten, I shouldn't have worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, true, very true. You, a lot of stuff can go on in your own head. Absolutely. Um, that voice in your head is something I talk about on the podcast a little bit as well. How have you managed that over the years of kind of questioning yourself and where that comes in and as a coach you kind of probably learn to to notice it and mm. partner with it and it's a brilliant question because i tell you why again anybody on their own some days when you want to celebrate you feel you can because you're on your own or some days you're you're too uptight as to get that sort of balance mm. i don't know if I ever came across the name of a guy called lou tice no. of the pacific institute write it and down. i was introduced to lou tice by vhs tape Okay. And it was about 25, 30 years ago, there was a course in interpersonal skills in the Silver Springs Hotel in Cork. Right. And it was given by a guy called Michael Astonelli. And Michael had about 47 VHS cassettes. Right. And during the day, and he was really good, but during the day, he would play a variety of cassettes introducing Lou Tice. And Lou Tice talked to me about things like um, self-talk, affirmations, mm. um, my value relative to other people, how people who love us can sometimes be bad for us because they might say things, you're not able for this or don't you worry about that, you shouldn't try this in case you get hurt. Protecting you. Yes, and you open up the whole area of self-talk for me. Right. I took it really to heart. Right. And I started writing affirmations at that stage, which I continue to today. Okay. And all I know is this, is that the world is challenging enough. Mm. So if you can learn to be on your own side, yeah, yeah. they're not bad odds. So what Lou Tice has shown me is to use self-talk to say that I can be on my own side and challenge myself to sort of work on the basis of my potential rather than my limitations. 
Do I get worried at times? I do. I'm not being cocky when I say that. It's just that by having some technique to keep you going, the voice within, uh, what I learned from Lou Tice is that there's enough people may kick against you. Why should you be one of them? Yeah, yeah. Very good. I haven't heard of Lou Tice before, but Lou it's definitely a fascinating guy. Yeah. Look it up. Like, mm. And, you know, this is... Affirmations are very popular now. Mm. Meditation is popular now. People are kind of quietening their mind and mm. noticing all of that. Was even meditation something you would have tried it back 27 or so years Funny ago? Funny enough, um, and this could be the extrovert, the restless spirit. Um, I love to do meditation, and, and it's something that I'm not a reflector, and I would consider that to be part of the makeup that I would like to replenish or to fix or to complement because I think a lot of reflectors that I know, I'm married to a reflector, and Fiona can be so happy in her own space. Mm. I'm restless in my own space. Right. And in some cases I get joy in movement, but sometimes I could do with the, the come downs of reflection or meditation. Yeah. But at the same time, affirmations work for me because right. I, from Lou Tice's point of view, an affirmation is a goal statement written in the present tense as though achieved. Right. So I am a loving husband. I'm an excellent trainer. You're already people there. Might right? say, yeah, yeah. People say, but you, you're not there yet. Yeah, but what happens is the brain moves you towards what you think about. Mm -hmm. So if you get something that's imaginative enough for the brain to visualize, yeah. uh, write to yourself, talk to yourself, and let the brain do the work. And as it moves towards it, mm. um, back to Lutais again, confirm that by saying that's just like me. Yeah. If you don't move towards it and you fail, accept the failure, but right. that's just not like me. Next time I'll get it right. right. So now the brain can move towards future positive rather than worrying about past negative. Okay. Works for like you. Yeah, no, it sounds it yeah. sounds like it does. Um, go back to the business. So when you started and you were in the early stages, was there a one or two maybe standout moments where uh, turning points maybe or, or breakthroughs in your journey that you said things have changed a little bit for me here now i'm really getting into my stride is there anything yeah, yeah. to something the first one unfortunately was negative okay uh, i invested fourteen and a half thousand pounds sterling in right. a company in england right and the company ran with the money and in, I, was that in was it in a coaching training in or a coaching training okay yeah. right and they took the money and they gave me nothing and we went, as it turns out, to a Crown Court in Leicester and I got £450 sterling back out of the 14 and a half grand. Yes. And that was scary because um, we had put a lot of faith in this as being a potential business idea. So that was a standout negatively. And was that, er that was early on? That was early? within a year of me starting. Right. And it was also a standout positively because it generally brought out the resilience of myself and Fiona. And genuinely we cried, we worried. I borrowed the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. over a five-year period, right. which was gone after six months. Jesus. Now, some people say, "Why should you coach businesses when you made such a decision like that?" I don't know. I made the decision. It was I thought well thought out. I did my homework, but uh, they weren't baddies. They just went broke, and yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. they didn't handle it very well. Right. That was a standout moment. I worked with the IMI, the Irish Management Institute, yeah. and they introduced the Henley Diploma in Cork, right. and I became the local tutor. Okay. That was a really big standout, and I'll tell you why. Because I met people from companies like um, Waterford Crystal, Sensormatic, Apple. Right. And I was managing MBAs for about 20 people in these companies. Okay. But I also got sufficient contact to apply for business in those companies. And then what I did is I gradually moved away from the MBA and into the companies. That was genuine sense of serendipity. Right. And it was it was nice because I made the decision early days 
that I wanted to work with big companies. Mm. It's not taking from the dignity of small companies, and I work with a lot of small companies, but I wanted to work with a company where I would be genuinely and sufficiently fearful before I went in right. to make me practice yeah. and to make me do my preparation. Okay. That was number one. Number two, once you negotiated your fees, they always paid on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And number three, and typical example of EMC in their heyday, if you listened, you picked up a lot of learning for free. Right. So you go to EMC, in their heyday, they were about four years ahead of the universities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by listening in there, you were able to pick that up and transfer it to other clients. Yeah. And so in that sense, then I started working with companies like Borgash, Pfizer, EMC, um, Honeywell. And there were companies, as I say, the people in there were on their game. It forced me for my reputation to be on my game. And it just taught me a very, very valuable lesson. Every time I have a training session and I've fulfilled this successfully since I started work on my own, on the night before the training session, if everything is not packed away, you've not done your job right. Right. It's packed away and you're ready, you're prepared. Mm. And for me, in the business that I'm in, whether it's coaching, facilitation, or training, preparation, 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 mm. full stop. Okay. And that's the least compliment you could pay your client. Yeah, You're getting paid, so you've got to turn up ready. It's a job as well as everything else. Sure. And uh, and these guys, it's just, the big companies are good. The other thing as well is that you learned a lot about conflict and feedback. Yeah. Because when you went into these companies, you had multicultural organizations. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the companies I work with first would be all Irish. Then you go into EMC, suddenly there's two cultures, three, four, 20, 27. Yeah. And one, you learned a bit about feedback and culture. But two, you learned to look after yourself in the cut and thrust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some days when it's a bad day, you can hurt, mm -hmm. but recover. Because I'll tell you why, if it is to be, I always say it's up to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I often say to people as well, 60 million Japanese people don't even know I do coaching. Yeah, so yeah. it's up to me. Yeah. And that's what I learned from the bigger companies that, you know, you got to be a big boy. Mm. Uh, you got to help. And someday your work is not appreciated. And someday you get kicked about. But it's good for your soul, <laughs> so sure. to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be able to take it and move on and reflect Absolutely. on it. Like and I don't say that in a bravado sense. Yeah. Like everyone else, if you get feedback that uh, you didn't like or you were turned down for something, it hurts. For me, the hurt is not the problem, nor is the feedback, not even the problem. It's the measure of the person is recovery. Hmm. When you were coaching and training leaders, I suppose, is there any, do you see emerging patterns from the types of leaders or, or folks you were, you were coaching that were similar across the board or was there differences? Um, I think there's always differences because you, INTJ, ENTJ, hmm. there will be different types. The one thing I feel that people have in common is that successful people mm. seem to value coaching more than unsuccessful people. Mm -hmm. Successful people value feedback more than unsuccessful people. Yeah. Okay. And what they do is they value another pair of eyes, another pair of ears. Mm -hmm. And when I wonder about my purpose and what I bring to the company, what I'm bringing is sufficient knowledge of the company, but sufficient uh, information, sufficient sort of insight into the company to challenge the manager to be the best they can be. And they take it on board on the basis that they see value in it because it improves them. That's number one. Um, number two, you mentioned introverts. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, I would love to meet that person who wrote that book and say that the great thing about that book was that it's getting introverts to blow their trumpet. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the great thing as well about coaching is that when introverts start blowing their trumpet, mm. in a lot of cases, they've got a lot more mojo than political extroverts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, and and when they say it, they say it with wisdom. I sometimes feel that extroverts, because they their vocabulary gets them in and out of trouble, Yeah, they can sort of talk a good show at times mm-hmm. and introverts just get on with it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if introverts could speak more, extroverts could learn a bit more. Yeah, yeah. If they would listen a little bit it, more as well. And, like, and, and if the introverts would talk. Yeah. It's a yeah, challenge. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, and you're right, if they would listen. I include, oh, my, yeah. I include myself in that. Oh, well. yeah, no. And, I, I, and I, like, I'm on the eye side, but yeah. I, you know, you're surrounded. I said, I think the statistics say there's probably more 60 40, maybe they say 60 40 percent extrovert, introvert, and there's the ambiverts as well, which are kind of in the middle, in the middle, a little bit of bit of everything. It is interesting from the statistics and the, the, the research that they did. But would you see if you were to take a poll in your brain over the years, would you have seen more extroverts as leaders than, than introverts? Again, I think a brilliant question because I thought that would be the case. And the answer is no. Right. I've seen quite leaders, reflective leaders, theoretical leaders, mm. extrovert leaders, Irish leaders, Polish leaders. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, some people, extroverts who have failed, failed for the very point you mentioned. They didn't listen. Yeah. Some introverts who failed didn't communicate. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, the reason they fail is that the style that they had was circumstantially not suitable to the company or mm-hmm. to the position that they held at that time. But there's no doubt about it. There are as many leaders as there are styles. Yeah. yeah endless. Mm-hmm. Over the years, how has your, I suppose, style developed? And is there, or are there approaches that you adopted that you kind of leverage more than others or your yeah. favorite ones? Or I, I think when I started first, um, I was 35 when I started on my own. Okay. And I felt that it was necessary to prove to my clients that I knew a lot. Okay. So from that angle, the efforts were about showing what I've done and showing what I know. Mm. And I felt that if there was a training session or a coaching session, that I had to have all the answers. Mm. So that was then. Yeah. Now, I'm 63 in March. Mm. I think the differences would be, one, harnessing the energy of other people Mm. and giving them credit for it is one. Number two, not having the answers but I would still maintain an energy to get the answer. Yeah. And three, I suppose the difference now is that when you engage with people and listen, you just get a sense that, wow, the guy or girl I'm talking to here has so much to offer. And it's by listening to that that I get my next questions. Mm-hmm. Rather than 15, 20 years ago, I had to have it all so smart yeah, and yeah, yeah. smarmy and keep it going. I was doing the best I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think what I would bring now is that one, people have the wisdom within your job is to bring it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And two, um, this might sound funny, but I encourage people to make up their own cliches rather than have cliches from famous people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more you listen to people, a lot of people have some wonderful cliches. Yeah. So the biggest difference I would say, Rob, is that um, listening better mm-hmm. and putting faith in the experience and wisdom of the person that you're coaching to prompt the next question yeah. and to help them on their journey. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if that comes over. No, but it does. That's what I think would be the big difference. It's funny, the the quote, the, the, the cliche thing, one of my big bugbears, I 
I'm on Twitter a good bit. Mm. Try to you know tweet a lot, and see, but every day you see people putting in quotes from I don't know Winston Churchill yeah. or whatever, and it's you know I would say a lot of the time they probably have something that's they say themselves that they say regularly that is more impactful to them and profound and profound. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I know it comes up, but I was doing a, a program on leadership recently, and we were talking about what makes a good leader. And I put up a slide and I was saying, look, guys, every time, every time we talk about leadership, here's the array of people, you know, Steve Jobs, Winston Churchill, Matt McGinney. They're all brilliant people. Mm. And then I showed another slide. There's my mother. She really influenced me big time, much more than Matt McGinney, yeah. much more than Steve Jobs. Yeah, and yeah. I think in a lot of cases that people need to look around to closer at home for the people who influence them and then take that together with their own cliches. I think they would be surprised how they would influence their own journey. Yeah. Because I think actually in the current age, um, with all of the gurus and self-help, etc., etc., people are speaking in a language that's not their own language. Mm-hmm. And they're speaking it in such a way that it wasn't the person I knew 10 years ago. It wasn't the person I knew 15 minutes ago. And Dolores Keane, I think, was applauded recently for having the courage to sing in her own accent. She was herself. Yeah, 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 and I think she's only about twenty million followers. So. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's something in there. Yeah, it's interesting. Mahatma Gandhi is uh, in the book. Um, he's a massive introvert. Mm. He, he uh, they talk about his story that he this was from his religion as well. He wouldn't even talk out loud mm. to the point that it got him in, in trouble a lot of the time because it just was so so shy and whatnot. And he was such an influential leader yeah. because when when he did t- talk, I suppose people would. Yeah actually actually listen do you think what you might have been doing more so 20 years ago was mentoring than as much a coaching because the way it's evolved so much yeah it could have come out as mentoring it was probably my style um i think you're right it was probably my style that meant for giving solutions rather than helping people to come to solutions yeah okay and that didn't change overnight i mean and you know a lot of people were happy that i could give them solutions Absolutely. and i was happy enough as well yeah but the the missing piece was the meaningfulness of the interaction or, mm-hmm. or people going away feeling that, you know something, Martin helped me to convert my strength and my thoughts into my solutions. Mm. And that's different to Martin saying, here, adjust that to your style and you'll be fine. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like before I kind of got on the coaching journey, mm. really understanding the difference between the two wasn't that, that clear to me. And you still hear it all the time, people... Con- conflicting the terms is mm. in some ways between the different. I think, I think there's still, and I would still mentor. Yeah. Because if you take somebody of your experience, and we talked about Bob Savage earlier, so myself, yourself, and Bob Savage are in the room here. Well, then it's obviously going to be more discussion, conversation, and perhaps a wee bit of coaching from each of us to each other. Mm. But you take a young supervisor of 22 years of age, mm. you know, in a lot of cases, you don't need to ask him questions to reflect on where he's going, he needs help. Yeah. And it's a mentoring one around conflict, motivation. So in some cases, mentoring will always, in my view, be part of my work. Yeah. But now that I'm a bit older and hopefully mm. a bit wiser, it's to know when to use it and become better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's experience as well, yeah. And being comfortable with it because early stages coaching, if you didn't have the coachee with a set of actions at the end of a session, you yeah. felt like you weren't doing it or the silence, no, you know, working, working. silence. And in some cases, early days as well, I would have got feedback, uh, even though there was silence and I was worried about it. And people came out and said, I got something out of that session. I'm saying, 
it didn't seem like that. Yeah. But that's because I was more interested in transactional performance mm. than I was in helping the client. Yeah. And by the way, I still wanted to help the client. It was just going from that experience to today. Yeah. And the journey from working with various clients has helped me that you'll get a lot more mileage out of challenging people when you know them and respect them than you would by coming in with standard yellow pack questions, answers yeah. and solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today now, any coaching session I would do today, as late as this afternoon, I had a coaching session. And the night before, the day before, I will see what I'm going to do, but I will adjust and manufacture and create the questions specifically for that session. Mm. And in the last 10 sessions, I guarantee you that those sets of questions are fundamentally different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to, right? That's kind of where I've been, whereas 25 years ago, um, you would have had to stand on how you're feeling about this, what are your goals, what are your objectives. But I still think for a lot of people, they're good questions. Yeah, yeah. And some people prefer, they're so structured in how yeah. they want to be coached that they need and be guided along step by step. And I don't know if it's the introvert or the extrovert in me, but uh, sometimes I enjoy the challenge of going on the journey with the person and knowing that you might have stuff made out, but you've not used it because the questions that are coming from real time are different. And you get to a point and you say, you know something, that's pretty yeah. cool. That's a bit like this podcast as well. Yeah, so yeah I'm enjoying try, it. Actually. Try not to have too many prescriptive questions mm. and Steve stuff coming up, mm. which is which is interesting. Influences that you've had during your career, and and I guess mentors that you had that helped you kind of develop and grow. Any specific ones jump out on what you took from them? Um, I, I mentioned to you ago about leadership, and I mentioned my mother. I come from a family of fourteen. Yeah. I remember saying to Mammy one day, "Mam." Do you love me? I was about eight or nine. I was mm. sitting on by the fire. It's about 20 past 12, night time. And I remember she said, I love you all. Right. And she had this personal relationship with each of us. Okay. Okay. And she challenged each of us. And one of the best bits of advice I got from her was that if you don't want to lose something, don't risk it. Right. Okay. And she also would say to me over the years, you can tell people that you love them, but it's probably best that you show them. Okay. And so she was practical in that sort of sense. So my practicality and solution base, I would have got my mother. Okay. Johnny, my brother, Johnny died about uh, four, three years ago. Right. Uh, really lousy because he was just retired and he died soon after. Sure. He was a brilliant that. trainer. Uh, thank you. He was a brilliant trainer, uh, brilliant coach. Right. And myself and Johnny would have swapped a lot of these. We fought over the years as well about clients and bits and pieces because we we're in the same business. Yeah, yeah. But we definitely had an alignment and I would have picked up a lot. What I liked about Johnny's style, unlike mine, Johnny was kind of pastoral in his style. Right. Whereas I tend to be more direct in my style. But in my reflective moments, I could see a lot of what he was doing. I could use to supplement what I was doing. Hmm. Um, in terms of Lou Tice. Yeah. I yeah, happened I'm, to meet him by VHS. He died last year, so I oh never really? get to meet yeah. him. Did he ever, did he ever never, come to Cork, no, Ireland? No, he could have been in Ireland, but I just, um, I didn't meet him. And I have a lot of his tapes and a lot of his books and I'm just blown away with the guy. Wow. He, did, he did a lot of work with prisoners and communities. Right. And, you know, some of the techniques that he had, he would talk about parents. And parents, in their child's mind, are the biggest wizards in the world. Mm -hmm. And he defined a wizard as a, a who said so of the highest order. Right. Daddy said. That's who said. And he said, such a responsibility when it comes to coaching our kids that you must appreciate that you're the biggest person in that person's life. So be careful what you say to them. Yeah. And another great technique I picked up from Lou Tice, if you ever want to energize yourself when you're going into a meeting, he called it flip back, flip forward. Right. So you go to a time, back to the visualization of the brain and the imagination, 
go to a time when you really felt brilliant, passed an exam, played a game of football, won a game or whatever, and go in there and say, how am I feeling now? Visualise it. Yeah. How am I feeling now? Who's around me? Um, what sense of joy do I get? What sense of high do I get? And when you're finished with it all, open your eyes. And now just flip it forward to the present situation. Yeah. And go into your meeting or whatever, because the brain will now have given you the happy drug, so to speak, yeah. to get you going. Fantastic technique. Right. Flip back, flip forward. Okay. He was a quiet man, but loved him. Wow. Loved him, really brilliant. Um, anybody else? I would have to say that um, in, in BMC or Delhi MC, myself and Bob Savage have been friends since there was 10, 20, about 80 people working in the company. Right. Okay. And we've challenged each other. Uh, we've coached each other. Yeah. And I like what Bob is. I like who he yeah. is. Mm. And I think he's a very genuine leader. And yeah, to our challenges and the genuine uh, respect for each other and a great friendship, Bob right. would have been one of the influencers as well. Yeah. Oh, he's a brilliant leader for mm. been, been there 10 years. And yeah, he's done so much for, for the, the organization and continues to do so, you know. Undoubtedly. So, yeah. It was, a, it was a good call out. I love to think about or talk about intuition mm -hmm. and for me I try to tap into it a lot. Last year I tried to decide everything based on intuition for a month or so. I don't know how, how that worked <laughs> out. But um and then there's the whole logical brain versus the intuition mm. around decision making. Mm. How how does that come into your own process or is it something you tap into much? Yes. Um if you look at my learning style, you know, Honey's learning style, I'd be reasonably low on reflector. I've learned to be a good theorist because the facts are important, but I'd be a very strong activist, pragmatist, not surprised being the extrovert. Right. But intuition comes in in the sense of when you're working with people, one is to challenge first impression. Yeah. And you know, when I'm working with folk, as we're sitting here talking, and you get into the person, so to speak, you can actually see their face in about 15 different ways over a five-hour session. Mm -hmm. And that intuition gives you a sense of who they are and what they're about. And when I'm describing people after a session, it's generally an intuitive description based on what we've gone through. So yeah. it's not a format that I use. There's an intuition. And I, I think my intuition has served me well. Yeah, It's got me not into big trouble at times, but my mum used to say to me before, I was very good at talking myself out of trouble. And she paused, trouble which I talked myself into in the first place. <laughs> right. But I think intuition, we all have it. I think the dangerous part for an extrovert with intuition is we probably jump before checking it. Mm -hmm. The danger for an introvert with intuition is they won't try it in time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That would be the sense I'd get. Yeah. Is there a part for it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people work that we do in coaching, you, myself, other people, um, a lot of it is based on a hunch will I ask this question mm. and you ask the question and suddenly a whole session has gone from ordinary to extraordinary Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was intuition mm. or sometimes you'll ask a question you know it's an uncomfortable question but it's after stopping that person from panicking because they've been trying to get that out for the last 40 minutes you didn't know that mm. but the intuitive question was right mm. yeah. so yeah I'm a fan yeah Trans, uh, not transpersonal, but there's kind of intuitive coaching. We did a bit. You mentioned the AMI. That's where I did my my stuff. Mm. And uh, intuitive coaching was something that I just really connected with. And to try and coach somebody intuitively, I think, or or, or um, 
Andrew McLaughlin, who's the head of the coaching program. Yes. I interviewed him for the podcast last year, and we talked a good bit about different coaching techniques. But he he did a intuitive coaching session with us, where we were visualizing, closing our eyes, visualizing stuff that was coming in and images that were coming in, and you were getting inside the image, getting inside the computer, <coughs> looking around, mm. and very powerful. Yes, but almost dangerous to use i guess a dangerous tool to use unless you had practiced it a lot or something like that i think you put your finger on something there as well that all of the tools that we use and this is one of the challenges i have about the coaching industry that a lot of people are setting up coaching academies and coaching this and coaching that and people some people who have no career at the moment i'll try coaching mm. they don't have a vocation they're, they're not passionate about it mm -hmm. and then they start learning techniques and because i talked about myself 25 years ago because that's all they have. They start throwing stuff together. Yeah. So here's a psychometric. Oh, it says here that you're a dangerous psychopath. You're an extrovert. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then they leave out parts like the IKEA model. Was that the one for uh, Donald Trump there? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they put the person together, there's bits missing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's almost like take that away with you. So I, I agree with you that in a lot of cases, um, some people when they're coaching don't actually put the questions and the materials together in such a way and with responsibility yeah, yeah, yeah. to be effective coaches. And it's something, if you're coaching, it is a grave responsibility to know that the person you're helping, one, it's a privilege, and two, you can't curse on the tape, I appreciate it. You can if you want. Well, not to <laughs> fuck around with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so important. Oh, yeah. It yeah. really is important. And I use that word just to make the point. Oh, but, don't worry. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so important because, you know, sometimes people come to you and you're coaching them, and suddenly you see a vulnerable person in front of you. Mm. Don't mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mess. So any tool that you're using, example, it's a questionnaire. Have you tried it yourself? Yeah. It's a psychometric. Have you tried it yourself? Are you trained to give it? Mm. When you put it together, have you had other questions that you can use? And if you don't, don't mess. Yeah, yeah. It's it, You are playing with people. Absolutely. You know, and and the amount of people who are vulnerable when they come to you as well. Of course. They yeah. want support and help. And sometimes you forget that, that you are... The, the haven as I say here mm. and they've come to you for help and if you create a situation where they're feeling they feel secure your responsibility done up more yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely you're and it, you, you enter a contract typically with the person absolutely. you know and yeah. the whole ethical side of yeah. coaching is absolutely very important yeah. I know going through accreditation and whatnot you know you do an ethics exam um, where where I suppose in your engagement with people do you you bring ethics into the, the clarification at um, the start? Or? The very start, yeah. yeah. And what I do is I outline what my model of coaching is mm. and call it personal development. I want to take a stock and I just relate to people and say, look, generally it's about stock taking. Right. I have two stanchions. One is awareness and the other is responsibility. Mm. And the third, I said, two, here's the third, typical Irish, <laughs> um, is measurement. Right. So I'm going to work with you around to help you to become aware. Mm -hmm. Some you may be already aware of, and hopefully between the two of us there's more. Converting that uh, awareness into responsibility, or to quote Lou Tice, uh, ability to respond. Right. Okay? Yeah. And then we measure results to see that you're going the right direction. And then back to awareness again, learning from failure and learning from success yeah. on those areas. Yeah. And I would talk about my questioning style. I would say to people that, look, I'm taking you on a journey. If there's any question that you're uncomfortable with, you do not have to explain to me why you're uncomfortable. Mm. We can just stop. If there's any lane you want to go down, invite, and we'll go down there as well. Yeah. Confidentiality from the very start. Yeah. And I can say with certainty that at least two occasions in my career where I wasn't paid invoices, 
because the company wanted uh, feedback on the sessions and I couldn't give them. Right. But what I do in some cases is that I will create a contract. Say you're working for Bob. Yeah. And we're coaching. I might say to you, when would you go back to Bob? And if there's anything you'd like me to clarify, let me know. With your permission, I'll go back. Sure. And even if you said by email that there was a permission, I'd still ring you to say, yeah, yeah, are you yeah. okay with that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the next most important um, principle or ethic that confidentiality, if you have a safe house and people share stuff with you, it's a tremendous compliment. Don't mess with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't mess with it. I reckon in trust that it could go from a scale in your trustworthy scales, you could go from one to 10 million, 527. And if you lose it at 27, you don't go to 28, you start again. Yeah. That's a big, big, big risk. As my mammy said, if you don't want to lose it, don't risk it. <laughs> so would you be, uh, when you talk about risk, sometimes people are risk averse or, or uh, calculated risk. Yeah, or... I suppose when I was talking about in coaching, I remember doing the egg talk for, for eight on. Mm-hmm. But risking stuff, for example, risking their reputation by taking a chance. Mm. Risking the company by doing something dodgy. Mm. Okay. Uh, risking a relationship uh, because you're doing something inappropriate. Mm-hmm. and if you ever look at a case like this people are always boohooing at the end well why did you go there you've lost it yeah, yeah, yeah. and you feel pain and it's horrible but the thing is rather than trying to manage the pain the real challenge that I took to my mother is don't risk it mm-hmm. because life's history will say the one thing that will happen you will regret mm-hmm. that's not by, by the way being risk averse no no um, you know I would work with some people who have been coached around decision making they're risk averse or around company challenges they could be risk averse. That's something you can coach out. I suppose the risk my mother was talking about is that live by your values and if you don't, don't be surprised if you get the result that was different to your values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. On values, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned it probably a few times in this show in the past, I love exercises on how people can identify what their core values mm. are um, and have a few different ones. Is there any one or two tools that you use that somebody listening could potentially play? And I don't want to give away tools. Uh, no, to no, fine. I'm early, happy to share tools anyway. But it's also more, I don't want people to think that they can use it on themselves and that could be yeah. not not positive. But well, the way but, I would help, and, and the exercise that comes to mind here is that if you're helping somebody to create a value proposition or a vision mm-hmm. statement, well, the first thing you say is, look at your strength. Use your strength and challenge them with your values. Mm-hmm. And with that challenge, what kind of a world can you create? Because somebody could have a strength of making money. But if they're dishonest, they can rob banks. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if they're honest, they can challenge their own strength in that area to use it in the right way. Right. So where I would help, help people to identify values, talk to your parents. Right. Talk to your friends. Yeah. Write down four or five words that would describe me that I learned from the people I love. Mm-hmm. they're probably in formative years and they'll probably serve you well mm-hmm. and that's why people can mention you said it well ago your core values mm-hmm. okay people can mention those values because they remember them but they can't remember company values because there's some gobbledygook that's put up on the board mm-hmm. so from home friends another great technique is this ask three people what they think of you yeah and when the words are repeated, anyone that's repeated twice is probably a value. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, I like that in that mm. I've got recommendations for doing coaching. You get mm. them through LinkedIn or whatever. And I was just just looking at them to see was there similar common, mm. common words popping up that you could say, 
they think that so maybe that is certainly one of them another time i was coaching somebody and i said you ask your wife what she thinks your core values might be because they point. know you best you know <clears throat> and yeah. sometimes i think it trips people up sometimes when they think value what does yeah. like they get paralyzed with trying to figure out yeah. what they are it's just the driver i mean the reticular activating system in the brain would probably be the best checker of values because that's the thing that will make you do stuff or not do stuff and that's value driven yeah Okay, and the other interest when you talk about your wife, I, in a lot of coaching, I would say to people, you know, you're not doing well at work because, or you're worried about X. What does your wife say? Our husband, our partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, and it's just so right. They're so close. He thinks that I'm being stupid. She thinks that I should push more. And I would say to folk, chances are they're right. Yeah, yeah, they know your best. Chances yeah. are they're right. <laughs> I remember doing a course one time where we were using Thomas Kilman, the conflict stylist. Right. And, um, I came in and I was saying to the guys on the second day, well, as did you have some time to reflect on the notes last night? And this guy, a real cork guy, picks up the notes of the Thomas Kilman graph. And he said, come here. I showed that to my old doll last night. And she said, I could have told you that for nothing. <laughs> and people do know the people they're living with. And it's, it's a good aid for coaching. Yeah. Can I add something there as well in yeah. coaching? That in a lot of cases when people are coaching, I'd always advise them at the start of the session to tell their wives, our husbands. Mm. Because what happens is that changes come over to coachee and the people at home don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's a genuine story. Right. A guy told me that he genuinely felt that his wife thought that he was having an affair yeah. because of the fact that he was just happy and yeah, jolly, yeah, yeah. but it was coming from the coachee, not from any place else. But it's important, particularly when it comes to affirmations as well, yeah. to let people who are close to you to know. Otherwise, they may think that you're on some sort of drug. Yeah, You are, but it's legal. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny when I find the first session you might have with somebody, it's, you know, the whole 90, 10% of you talking, 90% of them, they unload so much stuff that's been rolling around in their head and for so long, they leave on a high thinking that was an amazing coaching session when they, probably you didn't do much mm -hmm. and they're buzzing. But it's really after that a lot of the time that the real work, I suppose, would start. Would you find yeah. that? Yeah, I find the first two sessions, I try to get the first two sessions within a fortnight because the awareness rushes out. Mm -hmm. But interesting as well, sometimes person might say a lot in the 90-10 analogy that you've used and sometimes just a supportive environment with a listening ear and the fact that people can come to conclusions themselves by just listening to themselves can be very valuable mm -hmm. take reflectors mm -hmm. introverts and they're chatting away and sometimes they say an introvert say bloody hell I just answered my own question there mm. yeah. and extroverts tend to I feel they'll enjoy the talking but they don't listen to themselves as much as reflectors do. Mm. And so sometimes an hour leaving a reflector talk can be more than therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. That they can actually get a lot from the session, one, by unloading, but two, by making sense from their inner listening to say, that's interesting. I, I have something here. I have something there. And then what happens is you get nuggets from there. Probably fine within the first two or three hours you probably have a sense of where the five sessions are going to go anyway. You mentioned measuring as one of the kind of three... Mm. It's a difficult thing to measure success in, in a coaching environment. I guess every engagement is somewhat different. Is there anything common that you see? Is it subjective in lots of ways? It is, it is subjective, but it's still valid. Sorry, some of it is subjective and still valid. Let's take the objective quantitative pieces. I'm going to make two presentations. I made them. Yeah. I'm going to do performance reviews at Christmas. I've done them. Mm. Uh, I'm going to get five meetings with my one-to-ones for my staff. I've done them. So they're all yeah, quantitative and they much. make sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm going to have a discussion with my boss. I'm going to try to be a better parent. 
they're all measurable. Sure. But then there are other ones which, even though they're subjective, still make sense. I feel a bit lighter in myself. Yeah. It's a measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the opposite of that is a bit heavier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife or someone at work says that I've I've jollied up a bit. So whilst they're subjective, they're still good measures. And sometimes I find with training in company, people say, ah, the training didn't work. And I'd say, hang on a second, guys. The training did its piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you asked us to do a team building course to help you and your company's challenge towards strategic change. We did a team building. Did you use it? Yeah. So a lot of subject stuff can still be very valid. You need a, a blend of two. And feedback from the coachee is important. How do you feel? I feel pretty good. Mm. Did anybody give you that feedback? No, but I know I'm getting there. Right. Yeah. And that's as good a starting place Absolutely. as any. Yeah. I'm not hung up as long as the person can see genuine movement from A to B. Mm. The big challenge I think in measuring, one is in sustaining movement and two is in getting marginal change when you've got to a certain point of view. Yeah. But um, what I tend to do, <coughs> excuse me, is I make out a matrix for each goal. Yeah. And we have a score of one to ten. So every time we meet, where are you today? I think I'm at about six, seven. So at least you're getting a sense of up or down. Yeah. And that measures progress. If you add to that some of the quantitative stuff, I think you'll get a good sense of the impact of coaching. Yeah, no, obviously I'm sold on it. Mm. Um, but I guess sometimes organizations are metrics driven and you know yeah. need need a bit of that backed up. And can I just say as well, sorry for cutting across you up, but sometimes if you agree with the company, like Jim is a very good guy, but he needs to work on his communication skills and he needs to work on doing better meetings. Now, they're very describable, metric-driven goals. Yeah. So if you get feedback from the boss in too much time to say the meetings are going well, get off the stage, you've done a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I hear you. Mm. I'm conscious of time. We're 55 minutes in. This does go quick. I'm enjoying it, obviously. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I'll just wrap up with a few short ones. Mm-hmm. What's a typical day like for you now, or is there a typical day or even a, a week, you know, that you're, you have different strands going on, just to maybe... Yeah, a typical day would be, say a typical week quickly, um, maybe one or two days uh, of coaching, that could be from nine until two o'clock, okay? A half-day session with a company, or sometimes it could be two days coaching and a two-day session with a company. Uh, generally speaking, a typical week, I'd like to be in the office on Monday if I can. Strangely enough, it's not good for life balance, you might say, but I come to the office every Sunday night for an hour to crank up the machines, yeah. so to speak. Monday in the office, getting ready or preparing reports from coaching sessions last week. And then maybe about three full days head on, and that'll be the typical week. Cool. Um, and then in the evenings, just catching up on bits and pieces. But um, no, it's a job. Yeah, 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 It's a job, and it needs your time. <clears throat> it needs your time and effort and energy. And when I say that it pays the bills, I don't mean that in a cynical way. It's like all jobs. You've got to go to work for a turn. Therefore, you've got to be at work as well. Yeah, as you're your own boss in lots of ways, like do you, how do you hold yourself accountable? Do you have challenges sometimes with that being your own boss? Even though I'm an extrovert, and sometimes as well, extroverts we can be flighty. Fiona would say to me sometimes, "I'm going out to cut the grass, and as I'm about to cut the grass, I see another butterfly, and I follow the butterfly." That's how I made at times. Yeah, but I'm really disciplined when it comes to my work. Right, I do a report after every coaching session. Not a lot of coaches offer that. Yeah. And in some you cases, you give back to the coachee. Sometimes the coachee, it could be a 1200 word report. Oh, okay. And it's written. It's not sort of any template. It's written yeah, on yeah, the experience yeah. that yeah. we've had. So I'm I'm really disciplined. Um, there's no reports outstanding for this week. Mm-hmm. All my reports for last week are, are done. Right. Um, I'd be disciplined in things like preparing with great zeal, uh, timekeeping to turn up for my 
uh, gigs, so to speak. Sure. I'd be very professional. And just driving the business on. Um, you have to be if you're self-employed. You don't get a second chance. You've got to have a passion, but you've also got to have a discipline. Otherwise, mm. you would probably work too hard for some clients, not work at all for others. Mm. But it's a professional offer. Therefore, you need a professional practice and approach. Yeah. And that discipline served me well. And, you know, it's probably the only time I'm saying in, in, in that term in the interview, a boast, um, my discipline is good. Yeah. And self-employment needs discipline. Yeah. And that's not a, a boast. Like, I think it's it's essential. It is essential. Yeah. And it's a, it's, it's a great thing to have. Would you have noticed your discipline different as self-employed as a, as, a, as it was when you were... Oh, working. God, yeah. It just It's just naturally. different because, you know, one the downside, I think I have a record in the last couple of years of getting sick at Easter holidays and Christmas holidays because you hold on for the holidays so it doesn't affect your routine, right, so to speak. Right, right. That's not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other disciplines like commitment to your client, um, commitment to giving your best, if you're feeling a bit off, still going to work, they're all different to when you're employed. Because you know if you don't turn up, you don't generate income. So in some senses, you're tougher, more not hard, not cynical, but tougher and more resilient mm. comes with the territory. Mm. But in return for that then as well, um, if you get the disciplines right and you've finished everything, it's a Friday afternoon, it's the middle of May, it's two o'clock and you're in the garden at half two. Lovely. And it is lovely. Yeah. And I don't believe younger days, I if the phone rang and I was in the kitchen, I'd have to pretend that I'm busy when you're talking to people. Hello, yeah, that's very interesting. I'll get back to you. Now I got to a stage and people who know me start saying, you're in the garden, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. See you next week. Correct. And that comes with discipline because my work is done. Yeah. And that's your, when you talk about work-life balance, mm. the garden and those sort of things. Garden's are big for us. You, myself yeah. and Fiona love the garden and we share it as well. Yeah. Fiona's the, a genuine gardener. I'm a groundsman. Right. Um, I love golf. I've taken it up about 10 years and I'm okay. really enjoying it. And Very we play good. a bit of tennis. I, I've mm. given up for a while, but we're going back to um, mixed tennis. Okay, cool. And that's kind of it. If you want to play tennis, I play golf. We both work hard in the business and we both work hard in the garden. And strangely enough, when we talk about downtime, I've often closed the gate on a Friday evening and not opened it on a long weekend during Tuesday. Nice. You've been in. We've been staying in in the garden doing a bit of work. There's an introvert in there somewhere. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Or else a prisoner, I'm not too sure. <laughs> and is that, like, would you, during your work, during the years, stress managing that, dealing with that was there you know ever times where things were getting too much or how, yes. how do you balance it no, that's a that's again a great question there have been times when i've been bad at it mm. uh, when the kids were young i'm proud as i said if you want today i'm proud of the fact that i did the very best i could for my kids i didn't miss any major dates but there would have been times when i didn't get them to bed because i was traveling and trying to get the the, the business sorted out uh, there was once i had a thing called cellulitis yeah where my eyes were swollen up as an indicator of being stressed out i was right. near very near burnout and i did as an extrovert challenger a person with a need for achievement, I did what I did best. I worked harder. Right. And what I learned from it is this. I didn't burn out. But what I learned from it, when I'm coaching people now, it's very hard to burn out. But it's very hard to burn back in. Mm. I'll never forget that time. I was scared. I, anxiety attack. It just blew me away. Right. It was from just working too hard. Mm. I was also stressed about being perfect, trying to deliver a good course, um, trying to be the best you can be. I got better with that. My recovery skills are better. But anybody who's self-employed in a service business, if you take it anyway serious, if you're not stressed, you're not serious. Yeah. Good stress sometimes. It's good stress and sometimes bad. Now it's better stress. Mm. But there's still some bad you want it to be right. But definitely good stress is better. Yeah. yeah but yeah. you need some stress to keep you going. But over the years, once or twice, I would have hit the wall hard, stupidly, 
but driven by a younger energy. And now what I'm doing is that I probably still work a bit too hard, but truth be told, I enjoy it. You enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. that's the most important thing. I'll ask just a couple more. Mm. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? If you don't want to lose something, don't risk it. <laughs> that's definitely the one that's come yeah. true anyway. Yeah. yeah. And is that when you would, would advice you might pass on as well? I pass on my coaching. I pass right. on to my kids. Um, you know, the thing about it is that myself and Fiona have been together for years. Uh, we're married, I think, is it 1980? So 30, 35, 36, 37 years. And, you know, we love each other. I love Fiona. And I hope that doesn't sound soppy. But the thing is that, Great. why would you risk that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's yeah. what I mean by it. Our family values, or your business, or your reputation. Um, don't mess with it and all will be okay. When you think of success, what comes to mind or how would you define success? A um, couple of words come to mind. Freedom. Um, helping people. Being able to make a decision for yourself without seven people deciding that you can make it or not. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say as well, when you're working hard, a lifestyle that goes with the rewards. And I think it'd be corny of me not to mention that. I mean, if you work hard, there's generally speaking, pound for pound, you might less earn less money than being in a job. Yeah. But because you, you're using your money in a different way, I think you can use it in your lifestyle and your work can be part of your lifestyle as well. They'd be the kind of words that would come to, to mind. Main one, freedom. Freedom is a good word. Yeah. Um, last one, going back to where we started looking at your bookshelf upstairs mm. and took a picture of it and uh, probably will try and buy a few that I'm missing. Yeah. But is there one or two books that have a, had a profound impact on you over the years yeah one obviously would be Lou Tice Lou, Lou again but yeah, I come yeah. back to another one uh, Eric Byrne Games People Play Eric Byrne I'm a fan play. of transaction analysis and I use transaction analysis in TA, my work yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did my master's thesis on using TA for negotiations training okay and there was another great book and I'm sorry I can't remember the author but it's about the 40 laws or the 48 laws of power oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I have it. I've listened to yeah, the audio really book love it because yeah. you know, it's quite practical and at the same time, I find in organisations, you've got to understand about power. Right. Because politics and power are a big part of it. Uh, they'd be kind of it, but um, Eric Byrne uh, would be way up there. Last book, if I may. Yeah, please. Um, a guy called, uh, I think it was Eben Armstrong. If not, we can change it for, for any I, future. I'll put, put links in anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was evidence that God exists. And this was a neurosurgeon who died. And he did. He like had an NDE. Eben Alexander. He had his near death experience. In yes, it, it? Eben Alexander, and he wrote the account, and it was just fascinating, mm. and it worked for me. And the fact I loved it is that he was a self confessed uh, atheist, you could say, or a self confessed scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he saw things that changed his mind, but it wasn't a religious book, and it was just lovely. But it, it worked for me. The thing I love is book recommendations. I always put a list up after, and when there's so much good stuff. Definitely, to read, Eben like. Alexander's that guy's name. Yeah, Eric Byrne. Yeah, and Lou Tice. We landed on Lou Tice. Martin, thanks so much for taking the time Same out. Same here, Rob. I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed yeah, the the listening uh, and and learning, and and hopefully there's some good stuff that uh, others can take from the hour that we shared. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. How was that? Did you enjoy it? I hope so. If you did, please like, share, and do all that other good stuff that only takes a second on social media, but means an awful lot to me as it spreads the reach. You can get the details from the show in the show notes on the website, robofthegreen.ie. In there, you can share the show out with 
others. I really just want to touch on three other quick things. One, feedback. I learned so much from it. Without it, I can't improve. Please give me a bit of feedback, positive, negative, constructive. Would you recommend a book? Do you have any other ideas for guests? How about more video? Let me know what you want and I can make it happen. I will try. That's number one. Number two, sharing is caring. This year, I'm making more of an effort to try and expand the reach facebook there's a page and there's a group the one percent better community on facebook is where i really hope new listeners go to share ideas comments in general things that they could help others with that's what it's there for follow me on spreaker.com that's the new host i'm on twitter growing not exponentially at all but slowly so please follow there I'm on Instagram. All of these are at Rob of the Green. LinkedIn, Rob O'Donoghue. Get in touch. Would love to hear from you. Number three is about support. So I'm offering a few hours a month pro bono free coaching to those that can't afford it, that need some coaching, that want some coaching. If you go to the website, the support page, click on the pro bono link. On the flip side of that, where you guys can support me, go to patreon.com, the Rob of the Green page. You can make a donation there. You can get access to exclusive content, which I'm adding all the time. That would be awesome. Anything you contribute will go back into the show to make it better, make it more than 1% better. Also, there's the option to buy one of those books that were recommended through the website, which will bring you to Amazon, which will get you the normal links, which will get you the books at the normal price. But supposedly, Amazon will give the show a small donation every time a book is purchased or anything for that matter, which is great. So finally, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. I know it's difficult to make improvements, to push things forward, to get outside your comfort zone. I'm trying to do it all the time. I hope that every listen and every show and every guest that is on gives you something to take away that you could apply, adopt and adapt into your own life to create a new habit, to make something better. Don't overreach. Small improvements. 1% is enough. And thank yourself for making the time to listen to the show. It shows you're interested in learning, improving and getting better, even if it's just 1% at a time. Have a great day and good luck.